the Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, summertime is coming and the living is easy. No, 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 Rick. Do not sing. Remember, no singing. We agreed. You're right. Rick will never sing in public. That right. was what we said. Never. Life is hard enough. We do not need that. Now, you... Did you have a question? I, I did, but okay. I, won't, I won't sing it. So this, <laughs> Thank you. This is about something far more pleasant than me singing. Actually, it's one of the great things about summer, Paul. What is one of the great things about summer? Uh, rosé. Yes. Okay. Yes, indeed. Yes. And, you know, we talked about we should have a show about rosé, so hey. So hey. Let's do a show let's about rosé. Hey, Rick? Yeah? Let's do a show about rosé. I say. Let's put on a show. <laughs> I have a barn. Actually, we have a studio. All right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, today is rosé day, and we're going to talk a little about the joys of pink wine. And also Absolutely. today, listeners ask about wines by the glass and whether you can still drink reds in the summer. Okay. Our horrible wine writing has two opposite ways to not be helpful in describing a rosé. <laughs> and as usual, we will be making fun of wine snobs. Um, by the way, uh, we are still here in Capital Public Radio's uh, studios and on their podcast lineup. Recommended podcast Pod- lineup. You'd think they would know better. You yep. really would. Um, and we are also on Napa Broadcasting. As part of Napa Valley College, an yes. institution of higher learning. Yes. Yes, they are. And um, I need actually to point something out. Uh, I Uh-oh. had to write this down. Excuse me. Okay. So <clears throat> uh, the world has gone crazy. Uh, and speaking of <laughs> Napoli College, because now uh, my friend here, Paul Wagner, has won not one but two awards. One was the uh, 2018 Award of Merit from the American Wine Society. That's cool. So those are nice people. They're very nice they're, people. They're well respected. They are. What are they thinking? I, uh, you know, I'm old. Yeah. I'm uh, old, um, and they're figuring you give him an award, maybe he'll disappear. So, um, I and by the way, uh, I like a quote from uh, your, well, he's still a colleague, but a really former colleague and your uh, predecessor, and a pretty uh, follower. What's the guy that comes successor. after you? Successor. Successor, Michael Wang Bickler, who is a good guy. Yeah, he And is. his quote about that was, in my 14 years at Balzac, I've had the pleasure to learn, grow, and mature under Paul's tutelage. That's the first time I've ever seen mature and Paul Wagner <laughs> in the same sentence. Yeah, but he wasn't talking about me being mature. Oh, I see. He was mature. Maturing. Okay. Yeah, there you go. And the other part is the uh, Napa Valley College. So these yeah. are the folks who have Napa Broadcasting, and Paul just won the McPherson Distinguished Teaching Award at Napa Valley College. I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank my parents and all the little people. Rick, Rick, you're one of the little people. <laughs> I, I'm proud to be a little person. <laughs> yes. So here they were. Um, it's further proof they're lowering their standards. Again, you know, For, you know, when somebody's been around long enough, you give them an award yeah. and you hope, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm just saying, first they're our show, now this. I, I worry for their future. <laughs> I do. I worry. For, seriously, congratulations, Paul. Well, thank you very much. It is uh, a stunning uh, you know, you know, we should you do. We should have a glass of rosé to celebrate. Well, that sounds like a great idea. So let's talk a little bit about rosé. Um, it is one of the hottest wines in all its forms these days. Despite the fact that, of course, it it's should cool, be served yes, very cold. I know. Yes. I knew that was coming. I, I should not have set even me up for that, that one. Way. A little softball. Yes, but it is. It's one of these wines that has continued to grow. Yes. Um, and 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 what is kind of nice about it? It's growing in, in like with everybody. Well, you, it's the fun part is the geeks. Love rosé right, right. because their parents didn't drink rosé, so they get to show how edgy they are. Yes, yes. And one of the reasons their parents drank rosé is because it goes with all sorts of foods. It's really delicious, which is why the non-geeks are picking it up and saying, "Who cares what the geeks think? This is really yummy stuff." Yes, and one of the things that I've really noticed, um, especially as the weather has turned, but really over in the last year, is you know, there's that sort of you the. The happy hour after work at a bar, everybody grabs a beer or a glass of wine. The glass yes. of wine is often, was often a, a glass of something white. 
Yep. I see way more glasses of rosé now yep. for that you may glass be, after You may work. be looking at life through rosé-colored glasses. I, well, I am that guy. You yes, are that guy. Yes, yes. Good for you. Yes. Good. Uh, so, uh, Delicious actually, stuff. Yes. Um, and actually, the I've seen these market studies as, you know, I'm in the industry where, where I'm looking at market studies and there just are no haters. Right. No rosé right. haters. Yeah. That's right. Even uh, Even the wine snobs? have become people who talk about rosé as if it's a good thing. Yes. And now, of course, that will change because at some point the cool kids will go, well, everybody likes Everybody's it. liking it. I so got to hate it. I got to tell but, people why it's bad. But yeah. for now, um, yep. it's a good thing. And it comes. It, it also goes with all kinds of food. It goes with all kinds of food. Uh, it's refreshing, which a lot of wines these days may not be as refreshing as rosé. That's always a good thing mm-hmm. when you're drinking. Yep. And so here's the thing about rosé. It feels like it's something new. But it's actually yeah. it is actually of the oldest of wines. Well, certainly as old as any other wine. Yeah, yeah, but you know there was you know in we talk about it like its history in France, for example, where it is sort of considered ground zero. Although we can talk a little bit more about other places too. Yeah. Um, but it's generally considered ground zero, and it, it goes back twenty six hundred years, and the Greeks brought in wines, and and back then what they did the Greeks call rosé? Right? They, they called it wine. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's because wine. M- most wines were most wines were that pale pink color. Yeah, yeah. They didn't really have the winemaking chops to to, to leave it on the skins forever because right. things could go wrong. Right. So yeah, if they and that, to be fair, the Greeks made all colors of different wines, but yeah, one of them was pink and it was delicious. Yeah. Yep. And, and and I got to put in a kind word for the people in northern Spain around Navarra who make fabulous rosé and have for many many years. And also, of course, one of the most famous wines of all in France uh, years ago was Rosé d'Anjou from the Loire Valley. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I had our first camping trip uh, yeah. with so Rosé d'Anjou. And it was Margaret pretty nice. Was suckered in by a I good tr- bottle of Rosé. I tricked her yeah, with a bottle well, of Rosé. Well played, my friend. Well played. <laughs> um, so, you know, and actually this is uh, – I, I just learned this because uh, I looked this up. Yes, this, is not, this is not an actual study, Paul. This is from the Vigne okay. de Provence, which is the— Which is the people who the try to pe- sell as much rosé as anybody yes, on the Yes, it's the Association of Wine folks in Provence. But right. it turns out in France they sell more rosé than white wine, uh-huh, uh-huh. which is kind of a cool thing. Yep, yep. Um, so without getting into the weeds, let's talk just a little bit about how rosé is made because weeds really have nothing to do with it. No, it does have nothing to do with weeds, although in California these days— Almost anything can have to do with weeds. Yeah. So remember, the the wonderful way I love to explain winemaking is that all grape juice is white. Well, not all. There's one or two. Yeah, but Rick— Basically all. I'm I'm sorry. I'm diverting— You're diverting the topic, and the truth is— Let's rewind. Paul, what what color is all grape juice? Grape juice is white because you could walk a mile and a half down Vineyard Rose and never see anything else. So grape juice is white. If you want to get red wine, you got to let the white juice sit in contact with the dark red skins of what are the red grapes. Mm -hmm. And the way you make rosé is you don't let that happen for very long. So you just— just leave it on the skins for two hours, four hours, six hours, and it picks up just a very delicate light pink color. And then you ferment it and bottle it and you drink it as fast as you can because it's delicious. Yep. That's yeah. rosé. Yep. 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 And, you know, there's the there's the sort of debates over the the purpose, the style, whether grape rosés are made intentionally for rosé or right. whether the the juice is, is just left off over. And they're going to, right. But the truth of it is, it's still the same process. Yeah. You're basically yeah, yeah. using the same process. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's the, uh, there's, we, we answered this question last week, um, but right. we're talking about the, the grapes. Um, yep. And, 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 
there is an impact on grapes. And we talk, you know, we think we we tend to sort of forget that white Zinfandel is actually a rosé. It is. Um, yep. But yep. so is it a bigger grape or a lighter red grape that you think makes the better rosé? Oh, I just think it depends on the winemaker. And I'm, I'm really interested, you know, rosé is one of those wines where I'm really not too concerned with which grape the winemaker uses. I'm way more concerned with what style the winemaker mm-hmm. is interested mm-hmm. in making because if they're interested in making a fresh, juicy, light rosé, I'm all in. And yep. whether they want to do that with Merlot or Zinfandel or Charbonneau, that may be hard. Um, that's, a, that's a big, hefty grape. That's big, a big, hefty, hefty grape. But yes. there's lots of grapes to make good rosé. And it's fun watching people in California play around with this stuff, and they do in the rest of the world, too. In France, the Rosé d'Anjou is made, of course, from uh, um, Cabernet Franc. And in which is a, which is an elegant grape, and so some some might argue yeah. like like Cabernet Franc or Pinot Noir make a particularly interesting yeah. rosés. And then in southern France, you have the the rosés of Provence, which are made from Grenache and Syrah. And then which no, could be big meaty grapes or big yeah. flavorful grapes, but they don't you know the skin not contact. If, yeah. Not if you pick them early, right? Right. And then in Navarra, to me, the best rosés in the world are made with 100 percent Garnacha, which yeah. is the Spanish. Which is Grenache, the same grape. Yep. Um, so yep. the uh, so what, when Paul was talking about the process, it's really that how long they get skin t- contact. Yeah. And the other question that, that affects rosé a lot is just how sweet it is. Right. Uh, and so that's something the winemaker controls as well. Right. Um, and often they don't tell you that on the label. So that is a question. To, you know, if you were buying rosés and it matters to you. It is a question right. to ask uh, right. if you're, but um, but those yeah. are the things that have most. And then of the one, well, I I picked up a bottle a year or so ago that I absolutely loved. It was bottle rosé, and the back label copy was very simple. It just said something like, "Stop! If this bottle isn't covered with condensation from the fridge, it's not cold enough. Ah. Put it back in the fridge." Let it cool down and then drink it. And, and that's the point. Rosé is supposed right. to be, be cold. refreshing. Yes, and you've probably, if anybody's listened to us and have come back yet still, for a second episode. Still um, listening to You've us. often heard us say that sometimes uh, even whites are served too cold because the colder they are, it often dulls the flavors. With yeah. rosé, that's not true because it's not, the wine's just not made to be that way. It's made well, to be cold and, and refreshing. Well, and it's got enough flavor, and it'll warm up in the glass. But start with it nice and cold because it's... You're supposed to drink rosé. Yes. You are not supposed to sip rosé. Yes, and though I, I just do to, to one more endorsement of our friend rosé, which is that even though it's a great wine for summer, it's also a great wine for other times. Oh, yeah. Because it's such oh, a yeah. good, refreshing wine. Yeah. You know, one of the really difficult food pairings is salad, the, uh-huh, the vinaigrettes, uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. rosé is one of those wines yeah. that goes So we have just now salad. heard that Rick, who is already on record as saying he will drink any kind of wine, he has now gone on record as saying he will drink any kind of wine at any time of year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well. Me too. I will drink anything. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right. Well, speaking of just, you know, com- complete wide openness, I think it's time for us to take some questions. Okay. Let's throw ourselves right. open to questions. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And we, uh, we, uh, like to, if you'd like to ask us a question, we'd like to encourage that. Go to rickandpaulwine.com. If you're listening on our website, you are already there. If you're listening and you don't know about iTunes, you can also listen to us on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, go to our website, and none of that really is, makes any sense. Just ask us a question. Ask us a question. Yeah. Uh, and our first question is rosé-related. Excellent. And it's from Elizabeth in the south of California, as opposed <laughs> to the south of France. Okay. She's actually from La Jolla. La Jolla, uh, She nice. says, does color matter for rosé? Does it affect the taste? Can. A good question. 
That's yeah, a that's a really, really good question. question. Yeah. Although color can be controlled by the winemaker. So winemakers can actually, by adding just a tiny little bit of red juice, m- really make a rosé much darker. So it really doesn't, I mean, I'm not even talking about 1%. It can so they really have a lot of flexibility in the color. Um, where it matters to me is in in two ways. If the rosé is orange, it means it could be too old. It could be oxidized because it should be kind of pinky, not orange. Uh, yeah, that's a, actually a, a sideways point on that. You want your rosés fresh. Drink. You're drinking wines that were picked, grapes that were picked last year. Right. That's where right. your rosé. Yeah, that's right. Yes. And then the other thing is if the rosé is really too dark. It's not always the case, but sometimes it means that it's really kind of a heavy wine and heavy rosés to me aren't really what rosé is all about. So if I see a rosé that's dark, my first question is, okay, is this a mistake or did they just have some fun with this? And I'll taste it. But if it really is too heavy, I'll go ask for something that's a little lighter and brighter. Um, Yeah. And so, although as you were saying that, the, the most reliable cue is if the color's light. Yeah. then you know it's going to most likely have been a bright rosé because it didn't get a lot of skin uh, contact right. and it's going to have most of that lightness to it. If it's yep. dark, it's it yep. could be too heavy, but not necessarily. Yep. And sweetness is unpredictable by color. So yes, that's, as it is with you, Rick. Um, I'm a sweet guy. <laughs> Unpredictably. <laughs> Unpredictably but, yes. sweet. <laughs> uh, our next one is from Stephen. Right here in Sac of Tomatoes. Right here in Sacramento. He says, a couple weeks ago, you guys said wineries love it when their wines get served in restaurants by the glass. Why? Ah, that's a good question. Well, then, it's a long. It's not. The, it's not a simple question, but it's a. It's a. It's true that they do. Well, I think it's kind of a simple question. First reason is because restaurants sell a ton of wine by the glass. A wine that is uh, on the by the glass program in a restaurant will always sell more bottles than a wine that's just by the bottle. So wineries like it just because it sells more wine. Yeah, and often they so they will wineries will often price their wines differently for restaurants if the restaurants promise to sell it by the glass. Right. So they'll mark it down. And then the other thing and the other reason that wineries like that is people who might not be confident enough about the wine to order a full bottle might still be willing to try a glass of it. And one of the big questions for any winery is we believe we make really good wine, but how do we get people to taste it and know? And wine by the glass does that. So in both of those cases, wineries like it because they sell more wine and also because they, um, I hesitate to use this term, they can expose themselves to more customers. Yeah, you shouldn't use that term, Paul. It was that <laughs> thing a few years ago we were talking about. I just don't want to bring it up. But, uh, well, and that's exactly right. It is, that's the other part of the formula is that wineries often will, you know, will cut their price to restaurants to get on their buy-the-glass right. uh, price so that they can get exposure. A special promotional price. Yes, and so because you, you – and you tend to remember, and I've seen our friends at Cornell. I saw a study one time yeah. where you tend to remember the name of the wine that you bought by the glass because you're looking at it on a board or something, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. whereas even when you buy that bottle, if somebody helped you pick out that bottle, you may not remember the name right. unless you took a picture of it on yourself. Yep. Yep. Um, but yep. and so that it does it does a lot of good for for um, for, for a winery winery to be on the yeah. list. Yep. Good. Okay. Well, here's something that doesn't do a lot of good for the wineries, which is some really horrible wine writing, oh, which good. we have coming right up.
So today, in our really horrible wine writing, we have further proof that wine writers can screw up anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not we to do. say there aren't some good wine writers out there. Well, but and, and Rick, how are they different from us then? Because we can certainly screw up anything. We, we don't write it down. <laughs> We just, we just mess stuff up That's right. uh, just on the natural. That's right. And, and we are under the impression that none of this is being recorded. Yeah. What? <laughs> is that what Matt's doing there? Oh, no. So right. I, I'll, I'll start. So these are both rosé descriptors. Rosé descriptors. And I'll start with one that, Rick, this will clarify everything. Yes. Because the description of this rosé is as follows. Bright, fresh fruit flavors and a crisp, refreshing finish. That's it. That's it. Well, okay, that's every rosé. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, all right. Yes, it is. And, and not even bothering to talk about um, uh, color or anything else, just fresh flavors and a refreshing finish. Yes, Could yes. be bottled water for I all want, we know. I wonder what those fruit words. Yes, right? It's totally true. You put a little fruit flavors into a bottle. So my water. understanding is, as usual, you went off the deep end in the other direction. The deep end, Paul, is where I live. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So this is um, this is a another. This is the opposite end of a kind of a description. Once again, completely useless. Pale salmon, orange, pink color. I'm sorry. That's that's sorry. all of them. Why is color there? Uh, well, because if it's pale sam salmon, first of all, salmon's a color. Orange yeah, is a color. color, and pink is a color, and pink is a well, color. But salmon could be a fish. So <laughs> An orange could be a fruit. <laughs> Maybe there's a fish and a fruit in the wine. I mean, and then you got to say color because if you were saying pale salmon, orange, pink, people might think you were talking about the aroma. We're, Smells we're... like salmon. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking you put the salmon in the bottle. There you go. That's right. You got to I mean, it's like the worm in tequila. You have a, <laughs> got a salmon in the right. bottle. Okay, we're, we're keep about, going because this gets this better. Is, this we're about to go into the silly world here. This is pale salmon, orange, pink color. Plus, that's like every color. Uh, yeah, could every pink you can get. Yeah, yes, the color of rosé. Um, exotic aromas of cotton candy, ripe watermelon, sweet orange marmalade, spiced tea cake, sun-dried tomato, and melon water. <laughs> melon water. Oh boy! With a bright, dryish, light to medium body, and a stimulating, medium-long peony black tea, fallen strawberry, whatever the heck that is, <laughs> dried mandarin orange, and dried ripe cling peach and jackfruit finish. With firm, well-integrated fruit tannins. Okay, so a fallen strawberry is a strawberry that, uh, you know, yeah. has, and has was, a was one, weak moral character. Yeah, hanging around the bars after, late night. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Selling drugs, probably. <laughs> um, uh, dried, ripe, clean peach. So if it was dried... Would it have mattered if it was ripe? You would think that after it got dried, it would be pretty ripe, whether it was dried, yeah. whether it was ripe or not. Yeah. And then uh, I like the dried mandarin orange, too. Yes, yes, dried mandarin yeah. orange. Uh, the dried mandarin orange was hanging out with the fallen strawberry, and that's how it ended up that yeah, way. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, it, it, yes. Uh, so, and then you've got fruit tannins, which given that no rosé ever sees oak anyway, you'd kind of wonder where else the tannins would come from if they weren't fruit tannins. Uh, good point. Okay, and and they got to think that if since it had minimal skin contact, it's firm, well integrated fruit tannins. Yeah, um, seems an, oh, to overstate it. Well, I think you should continue because there's more here. Oh, yeah, so good. right, the last sentence is an exotic and elegant rosé with craveable dried dessert-like flavors. 
Perfect for summer or dinner parties. Yeah, craveable dry dessert craveable like flavors. Craveable dessert like flavors. Yeah, well, you know, okay. uh, elegant and exotic. And el- All I got to say is this this writer gets paid by the word. Entirely, yes. So, uh, if we, so what marmalade. we did, if we took a few words off of this one and put it on the first well, I one, I think that we would make, make a lot of sense. I think that was, that's what we should do. All right. Well, or you know what else we could do? We could take a couple more questions. <laughs> so let's let's do that before we just go down the silly road too much. Okay. So this is from Jennifer in Atascadero, and nobody knows where that is. That is uh, right near. It's between San Luis Obispo and Paso Robles. It's by Paso Robles. Central Coast. Yeah. California Central Coast. This may sound dumb, but if it does, I figure I'm in the right place. <laughs> right. Okay, I like She's Jennifer already. Uh, my husband insists that with hot weather coming, we should stop drinking reds. I like reds. Would you please tell him it's okay for me to drink them whenever I want? Um, Jennifer's husband, it, it's, it's okay. okay for her to drink them whenever she wants. Yeah. Yes, it's. I mean, we've had this. We, it's, we've had versions of this question a lot, and, and we will continue. And it's a good question in one way, which is: Do you treat reds a little differently? And the idea is maybe on really hot weather, and a Tascado can get warm. Is make sure your reds don't get overheated. Right, but at the same time. You choose your wine more or less based on what kind of food you're eating. If you're eating, and by the way, one of the primary local uh, delicacies of Paso is the tri-tip. Yeah. And if I'm having tri-tip, I do not want to be drinking white wine with that. I want a bottle of red wine, and I'm with Jennifer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that region has, excuse me, has does a very good job with a lot of reds. Um, I think you drink whatever you like. Just don't serve them too warm. But yeah, if you're if you're eating something that's big and rich for dinner, you want you want red wine. And if it means eating dinner inside in an air conditioned room in order to make it more pleasant than outside in the baking sun, okay, fair enough. Right. But, but or if you're eating outside, just keep your wine cool. Keep Put your it in wine a cooler, cool. keep it in the fridge, go back. Keep and your get wine it. cool, keep your guests cool. Just keep cool, Rick. Keep your wines whatever color you'd like. All right. <laughs> Uh, so this was from uh, a winemaker in Sierra Foothills. I was up there just recently, and uh-huh, I, won't, uh-huh. I won't use his name so he won't sue us. No, I not to make him feel um, – he was, he was perplexed. He said, how can a wine get a gold medal from one competition and get nothing in another? Do consumers – and then do consumers pay attention to medals? Right. So the second part of it is much less maybe than the, the wineries do. They probably pay more attention in a tasting room. When the winery talks about it. I think consumers look at, and I've seen some research on this topic, Mm -hmm. consumers have a tendency to look at metals as uh, reassurance, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily as primary motivation. Right. So you're not going to buy the wine because it has a gold medal, but if you like the wine, oh, and it won a gold medal, then it must be good. So it's sort of a confirmation of their existing uh, uh, affection for the wine. As for the first part... How do wines get different medals at different uh, competitions? Different Here's a perfect example. If you and I and a third person were on a panel, we're tasting... First of all, we're tasting all the wines blind, so we have no idea what they are. They are always paired with other wines. So we never drink one wine on its own. We drink six, eight, ten flights wines of, yeah. as a flight. In one of those flights, there may be an absolutely spectacular wine that gets a gold medal, and it may not be in the next competition. So the next competition, you've got a similar flight of wines. That knockout wine isn't there, so one of the others ends up becoming a, a gold medal. A little more, yeah. The and other thing that happens yeah, is... Yeah, and let's just stay with that for a second. Just, uh, okay. So, so, so that point is it's something they call order prejudice, and there they've done all kinds of studies about the, which wines you'll tend to like in the order, and then which wines 
Um, if if the if the competition is run really well, and not many do this, is the wines are ordered from sort of lighter alcohol and sugar to heavier alcohol and sugar, so that that big knockout wine doesn't come before a lighter wine. But having said that. Sometimes just a really, really great wine can then overshadow everything else. Right. You know? And then the other half of this, I, for example, when I taste wines at a wine competition, I usually taste in the opposite direction from everybody else just so that I can offer that second opinion of, you didn't like this wine, but I did because the wine in next to it was a really big clumsy wine and it ruined your mouth for what came after but I came from the other direction and this wine is really nice. You know when I taste wines at the competition I, I stand on my head. Do you? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. totally different new direction. <laughs> yes. Generally I get the wine up my nose but it's you know. <laughs> That's right. But the other the other element is in most competitions the panels are composed of three judges and those three judges bring their own palates. Right. And sometimes they agree. I have I have judged on panels where I really disagreed with one of the judges a lot. I was there not so long ago, but I'm not going to bring that up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not my panel. I was not on Paul's panel. And so you, the, those factors all influence how wines get medals and don't get medals. I, I share his concern. I once worked for a winery where one of the wines got what was called a crystal award. And a crystal award is a award given to a wine when one of the judges thinks it's perfect. So if it if one judge gives the wine a perfect score, say 100 out of 100 or 20 out of 20, it gets this crystal award. But the wine in the competition did not get any medal at all because the other two judges didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So there you got. Yep. That's exactly what happens in wine. Well, and that is the um, that is the reason why there are at least three judges, and in some panel, in some cases, four. And usually which, with Rick, there's four yes. because you got to have an extra one. Well, I, you know, I was the chief judge at the state fair for a couple of years, and, 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 and judged there a lot. Right. And um, and and, and of course, and we need to say that one of the critical parts about being the head judge is that you don't actually judge any wine, right? Rick. But we always ran with four judges. We liked that you couldn't have an easy answer for a medal if you got a split. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I have been on panels um, where you've got like a, a panel of four. You got you know four judges, and they'll go gold, silver, bronze, no award. Right. And then they got to talk it out and go back and, and talk about it. And I think that's important. I do think that that talking about wine is important because wine is an intellectual thing too. Yep. So that's part of it. Yep. But so there's all things. One way to look at metals and in, in general, and this is probably true for more for consumers than a winemaker who would like to have all the metals is is the. Wines that have been entered in a handful of competitions, you start to get a better, fuller picture. Well, and um, then you and I both know that every once in a while, we, as we judge the competitions, we see a wine that won a gold medal here, won a gold medal there, and son of a gun, it won a gold medal over here, and you start thinking, you know, these guys are on to something. Yeah, yeah. That a wine that consistently wins medals in all the competitions, that really is a standout wine. Right. That is true. Well, speaking of standout, I think our okay. gold medal performance uh, for this round of bottle talk is uh, just about over. I would say this was a crystal award. I would, yeah. This, this show was perfect. It's true. Although, no medal. No medal. Uh, our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, our Matt. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Radio, Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast slide event. Also, a shout out to Adam Sullivan, who's been giving us some technical help yep. and more than more than we've deserved, actually. Thank you, Adam. And remember to ask us a question. Just go to rickandpaulwine.com. And if you learned anything today, we hope you learned. And I hope this isn't too complex. Rosé rocks. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.